Hey there, welcome to Embrace Your Strengths podcast. You're going to hear inspiring stories of men and women who are embracing their top five Clifton strengths in all kinds of ways. You'll be encouraged to understand more about what's so great about you. Learn how knowing, developing, and living more moments using your strengths can bring you joy and purpose in your life. I'm your host, Barbara Colo. Hi there. Welcome to Embrace Your Strengths. I am excited for you today to hear from my next guest, this 100th episode of Embrace Your Strengths, John Farwell. Welcome, John. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be number 100. Oh, I'm very excited too. I would love to give just a little backstory, even just an overview of why I love this podcast. I mean, when I first started it a couple of years ago, I really thought, I want everybody I know to meet everybody I know. And I just <laughs> kind of came up with the idea of of having a podcast because I like to listen to them. And I think because I've seen the tool of Clifton Strengths help me in understanding more about how I'm wired and how I could do more of the things I'm made for. I just thought I wanted to start a podcast. And so it's been so fun. And even as I, I mean, literally every day I think about it, I know people around me sometimes get weary of hearing my ideas and thoughts or, oh, I'd love to interview that person. And, but like, I'll look at people and I'll see what they're doing. And I think, I wonder what their strengths are. And so we, my husband, Warren and I started the experience of trying to go to Israel with some of our friends. And that's how we met John. And he has been leading people to Israel for years, which you'll get to hear about. But I had the privilege of kind of understanding what his strengths are just through our work. I could look up and see, oh, has he done this? And what are his strengths? And so to uh, all different roads led to Yes, I want to interview John and have him on the podcast. And then when when we were in Israel, it kind of came about as we were having dinner. Like, what's your recollection of that? As we, I kind of landed the plane and kind of like sealed the deal. Like, hey, I want you to be on my podcast. Well, um, I'm not I'm not somebody who leans into podcasts too much, nor am I somebody who really understands personality profiles. And so you have actually changed my attitude on those both of those. <laughs> fronts. But I was excited and honored that you would want to a, a to talk to me about my strengths and then B to be the hundredth episode is is also an honor because to do anything a hundred times is saying something. Well thanks. Yeah it's it is just fascinating to me and I I do just look at people all around and think what are their strengths. And so I am really excited for people to hear more about you and your strengths, but I think it's interesting too, like you said, that when we first even talked about strengths, you're like, oh, yeah, I think I did that. And, but it's like some people don't need the help of understanding what their strengths are. They just have been living them out. And that's what I have seen and experienced with you, with your strengths. So, well, and I'll interject because, you know, obviously we're, with our company, we have to do these things. So like, you know, you, you, you go through the checklist, you take the tests and you get this feedback. And I literally just stuck mine in a drawer. You know, I think I did mine 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I haven't looked at it since you brought it up. So when you, when you emailed me my strengths and I looked at them, I'm like, oh my goodness. And it's like, it's exactly who I am. And you're right. Some people need the clarification to hone in and to identify who mm -hmm. they are, what their strengths are and who God made them to be. And some people naturally 
through any lots of different circumstances and actually stumble upon them on their own. And I attribute mine to being very stubborn Mm -hmm. in that I know who I am. I know what I like to do. I know what gives me life. And I don't necessarily agree to do things that don't fit into those categories. So I say no a lot to lots of different things, except for you, of course. Um, (laughs) And so I think that's where there's lots of different factors that help people, I think, discover them on their own. But then to take these kind of tests and to identify people who aren't quite as confident in who they are or know the, know themselves well enough, I think this is hugely helpful. Yeah. People come at it from all different angles. And so I think you're right. It's like, and even as we talk about what some of your strengths are, it makes sense that that you've just been living them out for a long time. So why don't you start with telling what your top five Clifton strengths are? So mine are context, command, connectedness, communication, and restorative which all sound like, you know, great titles, but then like, so what does all that mean? And then when I read more specifically, each one of them, I'm like, oh my goodness, it is like spot on. I feel like somebody's read my mail. Yeah. Yeah. Tell a little backstory of like where you live, what you do. And I don't think we kind of covered that. Oh, sure. Well, I live in Raleigh, North Carolina with my wife and my three kids. And I have served with Athletes in Action, which is a sports ministry of crew for almost now 26 years. Started off as a professional basketball coach and college basketball coach and traveled and coached division one and professionally around the world. And then I came back and joined staff and essentially have been coaching and leading, leading young men in the more professional level of basketball through our sports ministry. And then in addition to that, I've also started something in Israel where I serve and lead the ministry there in helping to develop sports in both on the Palestinian side and on the Israeli side and uh, engaging people that way using basketball, baseball, and football. And so that's been my past. But then also, in addition to this, I just got super curious about the Bible, and that led to two master's degrees and leading trips to Israel. That's awesome. I love that. Kind of walk us through a little bit. As you said, as you looked over what these strengths were and the description of them, you were just seeing how you really are operating out of those. What what do those different strengths mean? And how does that look for you? Um, well, one, it, it's it's confirming. It's always nice to, to confirm mm-hmm. one, this is why that this makes sense. And then it's also too, you know, the the very bottom, bottom one is also a cautionary of like how to, how to make sure you don't overuse your strength and, and what are some things you need to be aware of in those strengths. Um, because obviously, you know, the eight old adage, your strength, your greatest strength is your greatest weakness is, is, is true. And so, you know, it just, it, it was just fun to be able to see like, oh, wow, this is, this is, this explains or at least puts words to why I'm excited about the things that I do. Cause really at the end of the day, it's about passion and, and people finding their passions and being excited about what they do, which gets you up in the morning, gets you out of bed because you're living out of the things that bring you life. And so I think for me, it just like, it, it helps understand why these things bring me life or at least puts words to why they bring me life. Yeah. So context, what, what does context look like for you? It's trying to put all the big pieces together. Like I've always been somebody who says, so why, like, you know, a classic example would be phrases we use, like the whole nine yards. Well, what does that even mean? Like, where does that phrase come from? We, we use it in our English vernacular as an idiom, but like, where did that come from? And then I, you know, those kind of things are questions that have always kind of perked my interest. And then I, I looked it up and and it's it's from World War II when when the, the British fighters who were coming back from fighting the Germans were so outnumbered, they had nine yards 
of bullets in their airplane. And they would come back and tell the ground crew, I used the whole nine yards. Huh. And so that's where that phrase came from. Or don't look a gift horse in the mouth. I mean, all these kind of things like this, these kind of like, these things would perk my interest. And then I do have a deep enjoyment of history and understanding the context of who we are, where we come from, and how do we get to where we're going. I think history is a huge helpful in guiding us in that process. So it's I've always kind of been in, intrigued by history. Yeah. And so you are... I mean, just as we experienced you and just the knowledge and history that you have about the Bible was like exponential. It was like we were drinking from from a fire hose. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the way it is sometimes. And as we had our our meeting last night, we were trying to debrief that. I mean, it's like, how do you pull that back to help people make it more bite sizable, Mm -hmm. especially in a a two week trip to Israel? And so that's, that's the challenge because there's so many aspects of the text that we don't, we typically read the Bible from a theological lens only. And it's kind of our Western way of approaching it. And I don't, and I don't say that as being a criticism as a negative. It's just the way that we approach things, but there's so much background to the Bible and there's the stuff that's happening around the Bible that we don't have a context to put it in relationship to. And so when you see the, when you see these, the Israelite people, for example, you know, coming out of Egypt and comparing them to the Hittites and the Canaanites and all these other people groups that are around them, you realize how unique they were even 4,000 years ago in comparison to these other groups of people. But you would not know that if you just saw them in isolation, you just see them in, in, in isolation. And then you compare them to us today. Well, that's not healthy, but then you realize God was doing an amazing thing in humanity by calling the Hebrews out of Egypt and giving them a different way to live that was starkly different and def- and, and really definingly different from other people around them. That's great. Well, command, what about, how do you see your command strength? I think, I just think, you know, as when anybody finds out that I'm a basketball coach and I'm on an airplane, the, the conversation mm-hmm. quickly goes to leadership and, and, and motivation. Like, so how do you motivate people? And as they, as they think that think that coaches have the secret sauce to motivate people, and partly it's because you have a very very clear and and end product. You've got a win or a loss at the end of a game, so people can judge you as having a result. Mm-hmm. But command really and leadership is pretty simple. You know where you want to go. You have an idea how you want to get there, and you have the ability to be flexible. You know, and from just staying within the metaphor of, of basketball or coaching. You know, everybody wants to win. We know that's the end goal. How to get there is is a little bit more nuanced, and there's lots of different ways to go about the process of winning. A lot, some coaches have a very defined way of doing that, and some coaches don't really know that, and they're kind of meandering their way there. That's where that that can get you in trouble. But the coaches that are really defined in their in their way that they want to win, that could also get them in trouble if they lack flexibility and the ability to adapt. So there's there's both sides of the same coin, but really, I, I, I don't know. Leadership to me is not that complicated. It's, it's vision. Like, you know where you want to go and you have to know how to take the base, the big steps of how to get there and being willing to adapt along the way. But if you don't know what your next step is, well, that's anxiety producing. So it's really, how can you lead people in this process to get them from, from A to Z and, and knowing that it'll be a journey, but you'll get there, but you have, at least you have an idea of, of all the different steps you need to take, relatively speaking. And a lot of people don't know, like they, they know what they want, but they don't know how to get there. And, and so that's what all the leadership motivational stuff is. What's your end goal? Then, you know, how you break it down into smaller steps, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Some people just naturally see the steps. And I've, I've always been a person who has the ability to see the big picture, 
but also see the see the steps involved. And that's kind of unique. I will say, not not trying to say that I'm special, but I am unique in, 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 as in terms of a leader being able to say, this is where I want to go, but I also can break down the steps to get there. And I, I've, I've worked with leaders who, hey, I want to do X, but they have no idea what that involves. Like, and, and they want it next week. And what they ask for is going to take five years, but they don't know that because they're just, they're just, they're spouting out, you know, goals or desires they have, and they expect us to snap your fingers and make things happen. Sometimes I think that's what people think leadership is. And it's, that's not it. I mean, vision, yes, but but knowing knowing what the process is and, and being realistic in, in the in the approach is also something I'm, I've been grounded in. Well, connectedness, connectedness and context are two of your strengths that are in like the reflecting category of like things that you how you process information and putting words and ideas together. What is connectedness like? Well, connectedness is basically take, taking the context and point it forward to like, what does this mean for us today? Like, how does this apply? So, so what if we know history and, you know, the, the, again, the, the bumper sticker is, you know, history repeats itself and all that kind of stuff It's well, yeah, but what does that mean? And how do we not, how do we repeat the good history and, and not repeat the bad history? So how do we pull this forward to the connectedness piece of what does it mean for us today? And I was just talking with somebody yesterday, getting ready to lead another trip. And it's like, if all the things we know about the Bible is all this information we have. It's fantastic history and theology, all stuff. But if it doesn't change us as, as people and doesn't cause us to live differently or, and, and function differently and process differently, well, then it's just it's just an academic process. Like all, the end goal of the connectedness piece is change lives based on the information that we know. But we also know the information doesn't change us. It's the application of the information that changes us. And so some people really need the help to connect the dots between between the two and and, and bridge that gap so that they can see why this information connects and why is it important. And then also then how to, again, going back to the leadership piece of the steps to take to integrate it into your life, to have it be impactful. I know I, I could see how, well, I'll communication. Well, that's, I mean, I'm a communications major and by God's grace, I wanted to be an engineer. And then I realized math was involved. And so that didn't go very far. And so I, I actually transferred into communication and it turned out to be, again, that connectative, that context piece of communication of, of how to communicate well with people and why, why is communication so stinking hard and, and why is there such problems with it, but also then how to be a good communicator and how to connect with people. And so it's just been a natural thing I've kind of, you know, stumbled into, but then realized it truly is because of that context and connectedness piece, being a good communicator, all those studying, quote unquote, communications as a, as an undergraduate at Purdue, you know, all those things are involved in the process of, of being a good researcher, communicator, understanding the process of communication. So it kind of fit naturally into my bent and I didn't even realize it. That was by God's grace. Well, and then restorative. Well, and, and restorative is basically trying to put your finger on the, on the root problem. I've always been a problem solver by nature. I grew up on a farm. And so problem solving has always been a something you have to do on a farm and be, and be creative in that problem solving. And so trying to put your finger on a root issue and try to solve that problem. For me, with what, with what I do, the root issue for me is that people, unfortunately, don't read the Bible very well. And so how do you help people understand that how to read the Bible better? I'm not saying the only way to read it. I, I don't ever make that claim. But, you know, people's lives are, are impacted by how we read the Bible, our theology, how we do, how we, how we live out our Christian faith. And so then if we can, if 
if and obviously we got issues in the Christian church and community. So to me, one of the ways to solve that problem is to read the Bible better in its context. And in doing so and seeing ourselves as real people, real time and real place in the Bible and pulling that forward, well, then I think we've got a better chance of understanding what God's trying to communicate to us 2,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago and and try to apply that today by understanding the context in which it was written in the first place. Yeah. As even just think hearing you explain these strengths a little bit more, even as you are living them out. I, again, I just love just the experience that my husband and I had of being with you as you're leading our group of what, 22, two of us for 14 days in Israel. And I love one one thing I love as, you know, when I meet with people and see what are your strengths and what are you doing with your life? And like you say, what is your passion? And it's, it's such a joy to be a part of like this time with you as you were leading us of somebody that's loves what they do. And you literally every day would say, this is my favorite day. And I think that's kind of like, that's what it means to be living out your passion. I mean, you seriously, I think you really meant it every day was your favorite day, but the way that you led us, that you cared for us, that you prodded us along, challenged us in different things. It was just such a such an amazing experience. And um, I don't know, I just am so grateful. And I know even just as our group was processing again last night on Zoom, like, how are we doing after we've been back um, to hear story after story of different things and times, moments during our during our time that, that God was using to kind of help spur each one of us on in our walk and pursuit of the Lord. So thank you. Yeah, well, it's my pleasure. And it's it's genuinely a joy to help people, especially folks like y'all that were super interested in wanting to go there and and wanting to understand your Bible better. I know, like you, I know you've been doing this, what, 18 years or so? Yes. And led lots of groups. Like, what are some of the the things, like, you know, you have a lot of, of trips coming up in the um in the horizon, like what keeps you moving forward? Like, what do you love so much about what you get to do? Well, because ultimately people's lives are changed when they understand the Bible in its context. And there's certain aspects of, I, I would say, for lack of a better word, bad theology that we live out of and, and poor understanding of who God is and, and, and all that's really based on the text and how we read it and interpret it. And so being able to walk alongside with people and helping them to understand the story better. And I won't say perfectly because I, I don't, I don't understand the Bible perfectly and at all. And, and so, but the ability of being able to see people's lives get healed when they see the Bible in its context, to see their, see their clarity of who they are, get healed in, in walking through the context of the Bible, to see them become excited about who God is you know, in this context and because it's a, it's a relational book and we tend to read the Bible as a theological book, but it's a relational book and it's a theological book that contains history. It's not a history book that contains theology and we sometimes can get the two mixed up. And so it's a book trying to help us understand who the God of the universe is in the context of people who lived, you know, 3,500 to 2,000 years ago. And, but being human hasn't changed in 4,000 years and the God of the universe has never changed. So, those those aspects of those stories, when you put them into human context, then they become much more relatable and real. And then sometimes I feel like people 
we can we can view our theology almost like a philosophy and, and almost philosophically. And it's, it all sounds good on paper, but it doesn't really match our reality. And when you put the stories that are that our theology is draw, driven out of, put it back into its human element, then then it's then you can go like, oh wow, I can understand that. I can I can feel along with those characters. I can I can see that. The hard part for us is because we know how the story ends, and so that kind of erases some of the emotional tension in the middle of the story. I don't know if you are the kind of person who who reads the last chapter of a book or the last page of a book before you start it. Some people do that because they need to know no. how the story ends. Yeah, that's not right. No, it isn't because it doesn't reflect our reality of our lives. So like, you know, for example, we could we could read about King David being chased by Saul and we know that he's going to eventually become a king. So we know that the story is all going to turn out okay. Mm-hmm. However, he didn't know that in the midst of the story. And we don't know how our story is going to end. We don't know something we could, either both of us could get a phone call five minutes from now that could change our lives for good, bad, or indifferent, or at least what, what we would label good, bad, or indifferent, because we don't know what's good, bad, or indifferent. Only God knows that. So if, if we if we constantly read the story, knowing how the story ends, then then we erase the, the tension of those stories, or we, we don't know the timeline. So we assume that things are happening, you know, boom, boom, boom on a timeline. But yet when God promised Abraham that he was going to have a son, it was 25 years before Isaac was born. Like it wasn't it wasn't like, hey, you know, I'm going to solve this problem for you tomorrow and wake up the next day and everything's hunky-dory. I mean, we know people who have suffered challenges for years and years and years before things got better. And, and again, if we, if, we, if we don't understand that when we're reading the Bible, then we could assume that, hey, you know, everything's just happening quickly. And why, why is it taking so long for God to show up in my life, quote unquote, when you know, David was chased by Saul for almost seven years? And we think it was just like, you know, oh, it was a couple a couple uh, uncomfortable months or, a couple, you know, whatever that. No, it was years. And uh, and then the other side, then, then, the, then the, the other boomerang spiritually will hit us. Well, then where's my faith? You know, um, these guys had faith and they trusted God and God did amazing things. So I'm doubting. So that must not. Well, we have no idea what they were thinking in those. Abraham was thinking in those 25 years. I mean, David wrote all these Psalms where he's basically pouring out his lament to the Lord, asking him to show up. And so, again, if we keep these things in context, then, then we stop beating ourselves up for not being these spiritual giants that we think they are and that we're not and realize that we have a lot more in common with them emotionally and relationally than we think we do. Yeah, mm, that's good. It kind of is mind boggling to me to think about all the different people that you've led on trips to Israel and just the like you're saying, the lives that have been changed. And I know we heard little glimpses of a couple stories that you tell us in different locations, but are there any stories in particular that come to your mind that were, you're just like, wow, that was amazing. And even also during our time as a group, like I would love to hear how things that we had to say or experienced or questions maybe even impacted you. Well, one of my favorite stories that I share often is there's a place that we go called Sosita, and it's 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 one of the places where possibly Jesus met the demoniac, and we 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 end our time there because what Jesus after he heals the demoniac he just says to tells him to go tell his story, mm-hmm. and oftentimes when Jesus heals somebody if it's in a Jewish context he tells them to go don't tell anybody, he tells them just to to not tell anybody, but. 
where where Jesus heals the demoniacs it is a completely different people group. He's in the land of the pagans, the Gentiles. And so all Jesus says to tell the guy is go tell his story. So when Jesus returns later in the book of Mark, he does the feeding of the 4,000 in it with, to a completely different people group. And I can't go into all those details right now because that would be your whole podcast. But mm-hmm. the, the challenge at the end of the story is, is we, we have this conversation with the people that come, is why, why are we afraid to go home and tell our story about what Jesus has done for us? And in, in an age of postmodernism and existentialism, you know, we, we should have no fear of sharing our story because at worst, what somebody could say is, well, that's, I'm happy for you because, you know, postmodern existentialism says your story is your story. My truth's my truth. And so if that's the case, then what, what's stopping us from sharing our story? And so the challenge at the end of the end of that time period, as, as we did with our group is who's one person you want to go back and share your story with. And then we create this pile of rocks and we, and we divide up names and I'm, I'm praying for a guy named Doug um, for this person on our trip to have the opportunity to have a conversation with them. Well, several years ago, there was a young man on the trip named Trey who came on this trip and he was an amazing young man. I mean, I could, I could go on and on about him. And, and again, the kind of relationships we built, I ended up officiating his wedding. We're still in contact to this day very deeply Long story short is he put in a rock in this pile of stones for his roommate, Casey, who he spent four years of college basketball with and never shared a story. And so long story short, he goes back home. By Christmas that year, Casey had accepted Jesus and started walking with the Lord. Well, the next year, we're, we're back to the same pile of rocks. And to your point, uh, Barbara, I had a really unique group of people who are not very biblically literate. And so it was it was a challenge to get them up to speed. And the, their level of interest wasn't fantastic. And, you know, we got to this place and we're tearing our story. And as we finish, the Lord prompted me and I was like, oh, my goodness, because right in front of that pile of rocks was Casey. Like one year later, he was standing in front of the very pile of rocks that, that his that his roommate put his name in that pile of rocks. Wow. And now and now he's standing in front of that same pile of rocks. And and when I when when the Lord brought that to my mind, everybody starts crying. I mean, it's because mm. the whole point of this whole thing we're doing for Jesus is change lives and people who come to know him who get to spend eternity, but as well as now with him before eternity. And then one young man who was particularly difficult on this trip said, you know, I, I didn't feel like I thought I would feel about being in Israel because sometimes I think people have the approach that it's going to be magical. Like you're going to show up and you're just going to have these feelings because the place is going to have this aura. Well, no, it's just a bunch of pile of rocks that are dusty and have been forgotten for thousands of years. And then he said, now I, now I feel like I thought I would feel when I came mm. to Israel in this moment. Because at the end of the day, the trip to Israel is not about the trip to Israel. It's about the God's universe who moved and acted in this space, but moves and acts all over the whole entire world and is still active today. And we just go back to these stories to help the context, but it does that, that go back to my strengths, my context and communication aspect of it has ha- and and connectedness is how do we pull this forward to today and and understand that God is doing the exact same thing today. So that's probably one of my favorite stories. And I think for, with you all, I, mean, I don't want to out you since no one can see us, but our age, <laughs> we, we, are, we are a little bit more on the mature side. Yes. And when you have people that are in their, let's just say 50s, 60s, 
you ask different questions. You're looking at life in a broader perspective and a broader scope. So the questions you all are asking and the things that you all get excited about are much different than the 20 somethings who I have coming in other groups. And so you just, you're, you're, you know, we're, we're, I won't say we're at the end of our lives, but we're obviously, you know, two thirds of the way through our lives and we're looking Mm -hmm. back with a broader perspective. And then, but what's exciting for me with these young 20 somethings is how do I help them set a good trajectory? How do I help them get off on the right foot? Knowing that if I, I mean, I went to Israel when I was 35 and I've been going back ever since. And now I'm, I'll I'll be 55 next month. So almost 20 years of engagement in the, in the land mm-hmm. and how much that would have impacted me had I been able to be at a place when, if I was in my twenties to receive that information and how it would have, it would have altered in a healthy way in my trajectory um, in life in a healthy way. So it's, it's two different approaches, two different, two different questions you ask, two different groups of people, one's more reflective, but then also thinking about that God's not done with us yet. And so you know, this whole, this whole midlife crisis thing is really coming down to looking at my life and this, does my life reflect the integrity of what I believe? And, and often as believers that, that involves the Bible and where people get stuck is the, what they compare, what the Bible says and how people in the Bible lived and function. And how does this, how does this connect to relate to my life today? And if there's a massive disconnect, that's when some people just chuck the Bible and have what we quote unquote call a midlife crisis. Um, it's because they, they, they just don't see the connectedness between the two. Well, if you can have some, some, some healthy tracks to run on that might help you avoid some bad theology along the way, then maybe that, that would not be such as a challenge, you know, in your twenties, as you grow in your life to be, you know, to get to be where we are. And so that's, that's my hypothesis anyway, in terms of why that happens. Hmm. That's, that's really insightful. I love that. Well, did you have any questions for me? You said you wanted to ask me. Yeah. So, so what was the trip like for you in general? And what was the most challenging part? And what was the most meaningful part? Mm, Those are good questions. The trip for me was, it was so amazing. I think because we were with several friends that we've known for a long time and just the, the whole group of people that we were with was just delightful. But I think it was, it was so stretching in so many ways. And I love how you prepared us in thinking about things we read, things we just exercising, cause we were going to be walking, walking the story, like, um, like you call what you do, walking the story. And so for me, it was, it was just amazing to be in so many different places that I've read about in the Bible in my walk with the Lord for almost 50 years since I became a Christian. And so it was kind of like, just kind of mind boggling really in some of the spots, especially, but I think to, to hear you explain these places and even reading from the, from the Bible of like, okay, this is a real place and this is what happened here. But, um, well, let me ask you that question. So what, what are some of those like big aha moment shifts? Like what's, what's an aha moment for you that like, oh, wow, when I saw this in context, now it means something much bigger or different than what I thought it was. Well, I think one of the things I think about a lot of like that, that impacted me a lot was just the, just the, the herd of sheep, the, the goats, the, I mean, just the, that seemed kind of like on the bottom shelf, but that's kind of where I 
what I think about a lot of, cause like you read so much about sheep and shepherds in the Bible, but I think really seeing the reality of that and seeing a shepherd leading the sheep and just kind of what that looked like, but then also in the midst, I mean, I, I think probably the most impactful part was when we were in the wilderness area and seeing just the gravity of what that was. That was, I don't think you can really, you can look at pictures, but it was amazing. Well, and, and also realizing that almost every major biblical character spends time in the wilderness before God uses them mm-hmm. to learn dependency, to learn how to hear his voice. I mean, all those sheep and shepherd imagery metaphors that we, we can quote unquote say they're metaphors, but they are really truly essentials to being able to to thrive uh, when we're in craziness and we have mm-hmm. chaos around us is knowing the shepherd's voice and knowing how to follow in the midst of chaos. And that's yeah. learned in the desert before yeah. you come to other places. Yeah. Well, and even in the midst of that, like one of the books that you had us read was sitting at the feet of the rabbi and just, just the whole idea of like following the rabbi. Like if we really want to follow and follow the Lord, like what does it mean to follow Jesus? And so really taking to heart, like following you during these two weeks. And I think during that wilderness time, and I mean, every day really experiencing just your leadership, but you know, as you remember, my eye kind of got some crazy infection. It was kind of all swollen for several days. And that was when we were out in the wilderness. And I remember at the end of one of those days that you kind of raced up to talk to me like, Hey, I see that your eyes bothering you. What can we do? What can, how can I help? And I think just even those particular instances for me of just your care. And even as I saw it with other people on our trip too, of like kind of putting, putting the things I know about God and his care for me, but just, it just made it more tangible. So that was really rich to me to see, see just the reality of you as our rabbi, our shepherd for the two weeks. And that was really powerful to me. And that's where it's that metaphor is so profound because it's all the metaphor you're talking about is a relational metaphor. So like, for example, Psalms 23 talks about the paths of righteousness. Mm -hmm. So we as Westerners, when we hear the word righteousness, we think right behavior. And, and that's where our minds go to because how we hear the, heard that word. However, a righteousness means to be in right, right relationship. And you're on the path of righteousness with the good shepherd because you're in right relationship with him. And you want to follow him because you trust him. And so, but we can quickly unintentionally shift our, our heart attitude to being, what am I doing versus who am I being in, in, in relationship with the good shepherd? Because it's not about what we do. It's about who we are. And if you don't want to follow the good shepherd, well, then you don't have to. You're free to go and try to make it on your own. It's not going to work. We all know, quote unquote, mm-hmm. it's not going to work, but yet. God gives us the freedom to do that and the invitation to do that. And then we, when we want to be on the path of righteousness is because when we want to be on the right, in the right relationship with the good shepherd. And that's really the whole story of the prodigal son, which is such a horribly mislabeled parable. But the prodigal son eventually says to the father, I don't want to be under your leadership anymore. I want to go do things my own way. The, the inheritance piece is, is where we get stuck on, but that's really at the essence of the relationship is I no longer want to be under your relationship. And so, 
somewhere along the way, there was a mistrust that got born in that relationship in the parable between the father and the son. And the same thing for you and I with the good shepherd. Like, so why don't I want to follow the good shepherd? And so obviously I try super hard um, to, to lead well so that you do trust me in this, in the two week time that we have together. And so that you can relax and you can trust me. Um, mm-hmm. But as I also said too, it's really easy to do that for two weeks. It's harder to do that with my wife and my children who see me every day. And, you know, the, 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 the quote unquote, the daily grind of being that trustworthy person for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and not being able just to, to suck it up for two weeks, which, and I don't say I was sucking it up for y'all, but you know what I mean? It's easy to do. It's, it's easy to be quote unquote on for two weeks, but that's where your character and your nature of who you really are versus being versus doing comes in. And, and that's where, where, you know, when you, when you figure out your strengths and who you are as a person, how can that bleed out to generally being who you are in all aspects of your life? And not just something you do as performing or like your job, quote unquote, a, a task that you've done or a role that you fulfill. And I will be fully honest, I struggle in being a husband and a father because I come from a divorce background. And so for me, every day I wake up and I'm, I'm like, I feel like I'm just floundering trying to figure out what does it mean to be a good husband and father. But when I'm on a tour, I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Like I'm, when I'm coaching basketball on the basketball court, you know, there's going to be problems come up, but I feel much more confident to, to address those issues and to navigate them than I do with my own insecurities of, of being a husband and a father because of not just, just trying to figure it out mm-hmm. and having to follow. And that's where, again, the beautiful part of the whole analogy you mentioned is and how do we, how do we listen and follow in the areas where we're uncomfortable and we don't know where we're going? Yeah, mm, that's really good. Yes. Keep reading and keep looking back over our notes and all the all the resources that you've given us. Because I, I loved again hearing from the other people in our group. It's like we're all just still trying to keep soaking it up and figure out all what we, what we got in those two weeks. So well, and it's again, it's going to be a, a a beautiful process of unpacking all those things, and and you all will experience them differently. But you also, again, the beautiful things you have a community of people who all have the same experience together, where you guys can come back and, and process that together, and that will be exciting and a benefit for you as a group mm-hmm. to do that. the The basketball team I have coming, they're they're coming back every eight years, every four years, you're allowed to go on a basketball on an international trip, and I I, I won't say their name. But long story short is the, the program, I was just talking to the head coach yesterday. When they came their first time in 2016, they had a 5-20 and 20 season. And they said that trip to Israel has been so impactful on the whole mm. entire program that they've been to a Final Four since that trip. They, they just lost in the Elite Eight this past year. And he credits that trip of bonding the guys together and changing the culture of the program that's still sustaining that, that he wants to bring the, bring his team back every eight years to Israel. But he, but it's mm. because of that experience, that relational understanding of God, the community of guys having that same experience together and then coming home and unpacking it together is what makes it sweet. Mm. That's awesome. Well, this has been so great just talking with you about your strengths and a glimpse and taste of what it looks like. And I think I'm so glad that you're my hundredth episode because I feel like, <laughs> I mean, I feel like just the, the idea of your, you know, your strengths, you're living out your strengths and it's, and it's bringing you joy as you get to, to do what you're made for, but also blessing and impacting so many people's lives. And 
I think that's what we all want in life. Like, who am I? What am I made to do? How can I do more of that? And so I appreciate just the getting to hear what that looks like for you. Well, I appreciate you for being able to shift my attitude towards both podcasts and towards <laughs> and towards these personality profiles that I've never paid too much attention to. So um, I, I appreciate you in that regard. And I appreciate the fact that you're trying to help people be inspired to understand themselves better. And and some a lot of people are probably like me who either don't want to take the time or 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 who don't put a lot of stock into it to really kind of revisit that and really rethink that. Yeah. Well, I know it's, I, I've met lots of different people as I've met with teams and individuals and, you know, people come from all different places, like, you know, and the, the things that you get to do. And it's fun to be just a little piece in the puzzle for them to hopefully step into more of what, what they're made for, what they love to do, what they're experts at doing. So so I appreciate you taking time. How would people learn more about what you're doing or if they have interest to connect with you? So you can go to walkthestory.com and -hmm. you can see more about our trips and more about who I am and you can reach me through that website. And so all of the all of our trips are extremely organic. We don't advertise started 18 years ago and last year, this year we've got eleven trips going to Israel of various shapes and sizes. And so it's all very organic. And so if you're interested, just reach out through the website. Okay, great. Thanks so much, John. Take care. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope this time has given you hope and encouragement about how amazing you are or helped you understand someone you know or work with or love. If you're curious about your top five strengths, you can take the assessment at cliftonstrengths.com. If this episode's been helpful to you, please leave a review, share the podcast with a friend, or subscribe to Embrace Your Strengths podcast. You can find more information at barbaracolwell.com. I sure look forward to our next time together. Take care.